praise God. It seemed like it's been forever since we've been in church. To me, it does. I'm running out of Sundays. The snow to mess me up. I gotta try to figure out how to fit all this in in January because I am. Please don't take this the wrong way, but I spent so much time in getting off the bench. I am already um, about, you know, elbow deep in um, the four horsemen of marriage. I think that's going to be an awesome um, message for us, something that I've never brought to. It's, it's something I never preached before ever. Brand new stuff. No canned messages, no recycled, no shake it up, heat it up, um, change the, the title. I, I don't like that. Um, I'll tell you what, let's, let's pray and we'll jump into this. Is that fair? Jesus, we love you. God, we give you honor. We give you praise. We give you glory. There's none like you in all the earth. God, thank you for those that are here. God, thank you for those families that are well. God, thank you for those that have gotten over sickness and cold and, and those who have um, spent so much time in quarantine. God, it's just good to be out, surrounded by brothers and sisters in Christ. And Jesus, help us. Help us, God, not to focus on what tomorrow brings in a busy work week, but help us to just disconnect a few minutes from our calendar and from our outlook and from emails and just focus on you. God, let me say a bunch, a little bit of time. Let me say something that will help somebody. Let me say something that will have eternal value. In Jesus' name, everybody said amen. We've been examining the life of one of the greatest bench warmers in Scripture. We began by talking about the fact that Jonah was a bench warmer because he was reluctant. Then we talked about part of his reluctance was because Jonah was angry with people and with God. And that's why some of us remain on the bench. And if, if you're here and you're like, what are you talking about the bench? I'm not talking about a physical bench. I'm talking about why people don't get involved serving God. They sit on the bench or the pew or the seat, and they become spectators year after year. But I want to look now at the second reason that Jonah was reluctant. And again, I believe a lot of us sit games out, services out, time, weeks to months to years or decades. We ride the church bench for the very same reason. Jonah chapter 4, verse 1 through 3, reading from the message. The Bible says Jonah was furious. He lost his temper. Well, that should make a few people happy. You're in the same company as a prophet. So um, Jonah was furious and he lost his temper. He yelled at God. God, I knew it. When I was back home, I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran off to Tarshish. I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. So God, if you won't kill them, kill me. I'm better off dead. Bench warmers stay on the bench because they become cynical. Jonah was not only willing to sit out of the game due to his anger, but he also checked out because he was cynical. Now, Ethan came to me this morning and said, Dad, what are you preaching about? I said, cynicism. He said, what's that? I said, well, I'm glad you're coming to church, boy. Uh, so what is a cynic? The Oxford English Dictionary describes a cynic as a person disposed to rail or to find fault. And as one who shows a disposition to disbelieve in sincerity and is wont to express this by sneers and sarcasm. So in short, a cynic is a sneering fault finder. 
an attitude of scornful or jaded negativity, especially a general distrust of the professed motives of others. So cynicism can be found this way. Cynicism is the loss of trust and support of goodness. Cynicism is a loss of faith in the possibility to change, improve, or move forward. Cynicism is the loss of hope. One philosopher noted that most of us know a few people in our lives who we, who we describe as cynics. Now, when I read this, it hurt, Sister Holly. It hurt. They said they tend to be rather bright individuals who are just a little bit full of themselves. And never hesitate to voice their own critical opinions of other people. Despite appearances, most cynics are idealists at heart. The typical cynic tends, or tends to start off assuming the best, only to be disappointed again and again. And this constant disillusionment naturally leads to him or her becoming suspicious. So in short, cynicism makes us jaded and bitter and steals away hope. You start to expect the worst of people and maybe even of life. Is any of this hitting a tender spot? Or am I the only cynical person in the room? Okay. Jonah was there. He said, I knew it. God, I ran because I knew you'd offer grace. When's the last time you heard a preacher say that? God, I knew it. If we'd have service, you'd forgive somebody their sin. God, I just knew it. If we'd fill the baptistry up, somebody would want to get baptized. I mean, that's what Jonah is saying. In other words, I knew you wouldn't do what you said you would do. That's the bottom line of cynicism. We come to this place in the back of our mind and deep in our heart that we don't believe. And Jonah was there too. God, you said you'd destroy them, but I didn't really believe that you would. He was cynical. Cynicism benches us because cynicism impacts belief. I didn't really believe you would do what you said you were going to do. But Jonah is just one example. The scripture is full of people who are cynical. Abraham and Sarah, after hearing God's promise that he'll give them a son when they're really old. What about Gideon? I'm the least of my tribe and you can't use me. And Zechariah doubts the angel when the angel tells him his wife Elizabeth will have a baby named John. Now this one, if you listen closely, you can hear the cynicism in Zechariah's voice. Zechariah was a priest married to Elizabeth. The Bible says they were childless because Elizabeth could never conceive, and now they were quite old. Zechariah was there at the, at the day in the temple when Gabriel, the angel who stands in the very presence of God, appeared to him and promised to give him a son, him and his wife Elizabeth. He should have been ecstatic with joy because every day for years, this devout couple had prayed, Lord, if it be your will, give us a son. But that had been so many years ago. Now it's just too late. They were both long past the time. Even couples who had children were able to conceive. And Zacharias had reconciled to himself reality. They were not going to have a son. He had come to terms with God over the matter. He basically said, God is sovereign. He is free to bestow his blessings on whom he wishes. And for some inscrutable reason, he has withheld blessings from us. In other words, God is able, but he just won't do it for us. Cynicism. There are a multitude of examples of people who allowed cynicism to interrupt or impact their level of belief. I submit to you, church, that the greatest or one of the greatest cancers in the body of Christ and more importantly in most individuals is cynicism. It's subtle. 
we hide it. We ignore it. We excuse it. And all the while, we are destroyed by it. We sing about God's power and ability in this church in two languages. But deep down, we stay on the sidelines because like Jonah, we don't really believe God will do what he said he'll do for us. And we don't believe that he can do what he said he would do through us. Cynicism makes us numb. Cynicism kills hope. One man said it this way. Cynicism is so pervasive that at times it feels like a presence. Cynicism is the air we breathe, and it's suffocating our hearts. Weariness and fear leave us feeling overwhelmed and unable to move. Cynicism leaves us doubting, unable to dream. The combination shuts down our hearts, and we just show up for life, going through the motions. Cynicism. How can you believe for more or believe for better if you really don't believe in your heart? We must fight off cynicism or it's going to impact our ability to believe. So whenever there's a gap between what God is doing and what you understand, you have a choice of what to fill that gap with. You can either choose to fill that gap with cynicism or with belief and trust. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 tell us that we, trust, we need to trust God with all our heart. See, trust is needed when understanding is absent. You ever heard anybody say, trust me? What is your reaction? Famous last words, trust me, this will be great. <laughs> but God's saying, trust me, I don't need trust if I have understanding. Trust is needed when understanding is absent. See, you can't be cynical and trust God with all of your heart. You must choose to believe in trust. So the thing is that we must believe again. That is why it's so important to gather together like we do on Sunday. So we can remind each other that it can change. That God will intervene, that your gift can make a difference, that there is hope. We stir up each other's ability to believe again. You just don't come in here for coffee and cookies and hear me scream. You, you have your testimony, your story of God's faithfulness cancels cynicism that tries to creep into our hearts and steal our belief. You have several roles to play here this Sunday, regardless of what your ministry is or you're involved in. You are here on Sundays to challenge each other's cynicism. Every week, the spirit of cynicism acts like a slow leak in the tire of our faith. Each day, our connection to and confidence in God can easily start to deflate. We need to come together to have that connection and confidence pumped up by a fresh encounter with our God and with God's people. It could be that someone you're sitting to right next to right now doesn't really believe their situation will change. Could you imagine? Cynicism isn't in the church. Pastor, yes, it is. Let me give an altar call and I'll show you. It is. I believe God can. I just don't believe he will. I believe God does for others, but he won't do it for me. Cynicism is alive and well. And, and, and we camouflage with all kind of stuff. We camouflage our cynicism with, oh, you know, I'm just, I'm praying about it. I'm just trying to be careful. I'm a realist. It's reality. Mm, yeah. See, there's people in this church they don't really believe they can be free. They don't really believe that they can have victory. They don't really believe they'll ever be happy again. You have to challenge that every single week. Like the sign that was, that was um, I read in a, in a protest says, I'm no longer accepting things I cannot change. I'm changing the things I cannot accept. Like, man, that's good. 
I am no longer accepting the things I cannot change. I am changing the things I cannot accept. When we start to speak and live like that, it helps to weaken and eventually destroy cynicism. Cynicism is it's all through the Bible. Go to 1 Samuel 13 and 14. Saul has got like 6,000. No, we'll, we'll say 6,000. I think it's 3,000 men. He's facing 30,000 Philistines. 6,000 it's actually 30,000 chariots. That's a lot of people. 6,000 foot soldiers. The Bible says that the Israelites were so scared they begin to hide. And Saul goes to Gilgal with 600 men. He's sitting there as far away from the fight as can be. Jonathan gets an idea and decides not to go to his father. Why? When you're around cynicism, get as far away from it as possible. What do you think Saul? Saul is not moving. He is, there's no action. There is no plan. There is no movement. There's no hope. That is cynicism. The king of Israel is sitting with 600 soldiers as far away from the battle as can be, hoping that the enemy will go away. So his son gets an idea and takes the armor bearer with him. And says, it's so cool how he says it. It's in 1 Samuel 14, 6. Let me read it for you in the message. Why? Because I like it. Jonathan said to his armor bearer, come on now. Let's go across to these uncircumcised pagans. Maybe God will work for us. He moves on a maybe. You are fleecing God. You want him to write it in the sky. You want him to show up in your cereal. And Jonathan moves on the Philistines with a Maybe. Maybe God will work for us. There's no rule that says God can only deliver us by using a big army. No one can stop God from saving when he sets his mind to it. And his armor bearer said, go ahead, do what you think best. I'm all the way in with you. And he is because there's only one sword between the two of them. You want to talk to Moses. You want to talk to Paul. I want to talk to this unnamed armor bearer that decides to go with Jonathan with no weapons against the Philistines. Where are you going to get your weapons from the Philistines I kill? They move on a maybe. And what happens? They kill about 20. And all of a sudden, God starts moving. And the Philistines begin to kill each other. And Saul and his men hear what's going on. And they get into a fight they never would have got in. Because they're so full of cynicism. What are you saying, Pastor? If it only took one guy and his armor bearer to change the entire outcome of a nation, don't tell me that one person can't change a church. I'm telling you, you are here on Sundays not to clap on beat and to sing on key. You are here to challenge cynicism that tries to creep into the church that says just come and sit and soak and sour and listen to what God used to do. No, no, no. That's a lie from hell. God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Come and see how good God is. So when we start to speak and live like that, it helps to weaken and destroy cynicism. See, cynicism impacts behavior. Notice cynicism impacts Jonah's behavior. It caused him to run from serving. It caused him to sulk when God responds to Nineveh's repentance. His behavior is a direct result of his cynicism. So the question is, how is cynicism affecting your behavior? See, what you believe or what you don't believe dictates your behavior. Let me see if I can pinpoint some ways that cynicism impacts our behavior toward God. 
Let me give you some examples because I don't want to lose you. If I don't believe God will honor his word to, to heal me, then I'll take matters into my own hands. I'll self-medicate and try to relieve, find relief anywhere else I can find it. If I don't believe that God will deliver me, then I'll take matters into my own hands. I'll make decisions and the choices that will bring, that I think will bring me freedom, but will only discover they'll produce more bondage if I'm not willing to wait for God's means, his peace, his process of deliverance. If I don't believe that God will provide for me, then I'll take matters into my own hands. I'll take jobs and loans that he didn't want me to take. If I don't believe that God will comfort me, then I'll find something to use as a substitute and try to produce comfort in my life. Many times the four of, of drugs, medication, alcohol, and there's kids in the room, and you can fill in another word that begins with, well, it has three letters in it. If I don't, really don't believe that God will order my steps or plan to prosper me, then when tough times come in my life, I'll choose my own path. If I don't really believe that God can use me and that my gifts matter, then I'll sit on the sidelines and do nothing. See, cynicism will cause me to behave differently towards God. And will also determine how I behave with people. I will get ahead of God or I'll do detour from him due to lack of belief. Now that's bad. But cynicism will also dictate how I behave towards you. See, let's just get real. How about this? On a, on a nice Sunday in January. If I don't really think you can change, I'm not going to rely on you. If I don't really think you can be set free, then I'm going to be suspicious of you. If I don't really think that you can be different after Jesus than you were before him, then I will hold you at arm's length and I'll miss the gift that you're supposed to be in my life. If I really don't think Jesus entered your life, then I'll hold you hostage to what and who you were before Jesus. Aren't you glad we're so past that as a church? We must come back to this place where we not only believe in God again, but we believe in God's people again. I'm not telling you to trust everybody. Lord, no, don't do that. But I'm telling you to trust the right people. You need to believe in the right people again. So just, how about this? Just drop the suspicion. Let me pass you for about four seconds. Would you please quit acting like the grace God has given you is sufficient for your issues, but deficient when it comes to everybody else's? Will you quit acting like God's grace only works for you and his forgiveness only works for you, but you're suspicious and you hold everybody at arm's length and you think nobody can change? You are so full of sentences. We need to take a trip to the altar. Would you please quit acting like God can only work in your life and nobody else's? I know you've been burned. I know you've been betrayed. I know you've been disappointed. I've been pastoring for decades, and I know, oh, I know what it is to be jaded and to be cynical and not to believe in anybody. I know what it is. I know the fight is real, and I have to fight against it. However, I'm challenging you. I'm challenging myself. I challenge us to fight the cynicism that will try to cause us to believe and behave towards the right people as if they were the wrong people. The last message I said that you had to either choose between being angry or available. You can't do both. I'm almost done because I'm going to give me a cynicism altar call. This week I'm challenging you to realize that you have a choice. You can be cynical or you can be sent. You can't be both. Cynicism will mess up your scent unless you deal with it. I'm talking about the way you smell. I'm talking about scent as far as what God wants to do in your life. It'll mess it up. Because you'll be suspicious. Like the prophet. God sent him ravens. 
I don't want no dirty ravens. I'm a Jew. I don't want no ravens are a dirty bird. God sends us help, and we're so cynical that we shoo away the help that God tries to send us. We're so suspicious of people, and we've been burned so many times, and we're so jaded, and we're so cynical, and we're so negative. We, we say that we're just being real. We got to be realist, bro. Is that many times God will say, I'm sending this person to come into your life because they're going to help your ministry more than anybody else. But we don't believe it. And instead of accepting it, we push them away. Cynicism. I wish it was only Jonah. I wish it was only just in the Old Testament, but it's in the New Testament. And it's in 2022 as well. It's not just in the first church. It's in every church. It's cynicism. And as you stand with me, remember I told you when I pray for people, I ask them, if it's not personal, can I know your need? Yes, I got, I got, I got pain in my thumb. Okay, do you believe God can heal you? Nope. Okay, well then, um, praise God, you may sit down now. Because if they don't believe, ask them, do you believe God can heal? Yes. Do you believe he can heal you? I don't know. Cynicism. That's, that's unbelief, Pastor. Okay, you can call it what you want. Cynicism is believing. I know God can. I just don't think he will for me. I know God has done in the past, but I don't know if he will for me. Just a crown. It's so much easier to say unbelief. That sounds like something we could deal with. When we say, you know what, we are just chock full of cynicism. That sounds bad. Sounds bad. We don't like that word. Pick a different word, Pastor. I, I will next week. <laughs> now we're working on cynicism. I'll pick one next week. But we have to deal with it. Pastor, are you cynical? Yes. This message, I'm going to label this message JT. Why are you cynical? You don't believe in people? Yes, I do. I believe in people to a fault. That's why I'm cynical. Can, can I be honest or you, you don't want an honest pastor? You can go somewhere else you want a pastor that lies to you, but I'll be honest with you. I believe in people to a fault until they disappoint me over and over and over again and to the point where I just, I, I see them come and go, come and go. Some of them stay, most of them won't. Pastor, it's a terrible mindset. I know. Is it true? Yes. Is it right to think? No. We can't be cynical. We got to believe. Just like Jonathan, maybe God will. Jonathan moved on a maybe. Is it easy to be jaded? Yes, yes, it's easy to be calloused. It's hard to trust. It's like I've been down this road before and they burnt me. I know they're going to do it again. They probably will. It's easy. I'm not saying it's right. I'm definitely not saying it's, it's easy to fight either. We have to fight. That's why we need people in our lives to say, look, man, that's not faith talking. That's not faith. Look, I know you've been hurt. I know people let you down. I know people have stabbed you in the back. But that doesn't mean everybody will. Look what they did to Jesus. He lost one of 12. If he was willing to love and to put in everybody, knowing, he knowing that he was going to be betrayed, why are we holding back? Because we've been hurt before. It's not easy. Man, I wish it was easy. I wish it was addiction. We could talk about addiction. I wish it was something else, but cynicism is tough. It's tough. 
So my question is, is there anybody in this room that wants to be honest and say, you know what, if I'm looking at it that way, there's, there's a, some cynicism in my life. Maybe God asked me to believe again for something he's asked me to believe for so many times. Every time I do and get excited about it, I'm so excited and God doesn't do anything. God, I'm tired of being excited about what you said you're going to do and it seems like your timetable doesn't match mine. And God is saying, believe again. Maybe saying serve, but you know, you don't understand, God, every time I've served in every church, I've either been talked about, I've been run out, people are getting jealous and everything else, and God's saying, I know, but serve again. It's hard. I'm not telling you it's easy. But what I'm telling you is that Jonah's not alone. We didn't run away from Nineveh, but Jonah. Jonah wasn't mad at the Ninevites for repenting. He was mad at God for forgiving. I knew you would do this. Why did you tell me to come preach this message of destruction? You wouldn't even do it. Jonah was mad at God. He starts off being mad with God or being cynical towards God and then always carries over to people. So I don't know about you. I want to make sure that this cynicism that's trying to be the flat tire of my faith doesn't happen day after day and week after week. It's time to patch what we need to patch. It's time to help one another to believe again, to believe in one another again. And say, look, I can't say that you'll never be hurt at this church, but I can say, you know, we're going to do the very best job to love one another, to work together, to see God's will come to pass but we can't do that if we have a bunch of talented intelligent loving people that are sitting in their chairs full of cynicism we have to believe in him again and believe in one another again so I'll tell you what as, as Bray sings can we find a place to pray can we find a place to believe the word of God to believe in him and to believe in one another one more time so his will can come to pass. What do you say, church? Can we find a place to pray?